You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. The NBA playoffs was supposed to be the time that we finally got to see what teams were really made of, what it would really be like when everyone's healthy and getting after it. No DNPs for rest, no load management. The injuries are off the table. Let's just get after it. And instead, here we are looking at a Lakers team probably going without AD, looking at a Sixers team wondering when Joel Embiid might be back. And across the board, having to accept that the injury problem that plagued the regular season is going to continue throughout the postseason and keeps us guessing at any moment who the favorites are in both conferences. We're going to get into all of that tonight and a couple other things here on Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. We're going to give you the straight talk, but first, a little straight talk of my own. Uh, I happen to notice that my co-host, Jason Fitz, was whoring around on Barton Han yesterday instead of doing the show with me yesterday night. And then today, I turn on the radio when I'm prepping for this show, which has my name on it, his name on it. And what do I hear but him laying around once again with his favorite, Mike Golick Jr. And you know what, guys? This isn't the first time. Yeah, not just uh, one slot, many slots. All of the slots. It, you you know, have it's something been, to say for yourself? It, it's been a busy few days. I'm not going to uh-huh. lie. I, I'm uh-huh. not going to lie. You know, I just go uh-huh. where I'm told to go. And uh-huh. I, I'm. You know, my job is to promote our show in as uh-huh. many places as possible. Mm-hmm. So today when they said, hey, do you want to do a three-hour uh-huh. ad for Spain and Fitz? Uh-huh. That- and ESPN Plus, you do that, and so uh-huh. I, that's that, that's what I did. I, mm-hmm. I, 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 it was a long ad, long three-hour ad with Mike. It's time for Straight Talk, brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless, and the Straight Talk is coming straight from Kendrick Perkins on first take today <laughs> when he was asked what's going to happen tonight. Likely no Anthony Davis. Lakers trying to assert themselves in this series with a very tricky Suns team. Who will come through and save the day? Here's what Perk said. Game five, pressure. And who embraces pressure? LeBron James. And that's what he's going to do. He's going to deliver in great fashion tonight. He's going to rise to the occasion. I get it. Chris Paul, Andre Aiden, and Devin Booker. But guess who's still the best player in this series? LeBron James. And Dennis Schroeder, he's going to elevate his game tonight. He had 20 in game two. 24 in game three. Andre Drummond went on a worldwide tour. For what reason? Came to Laker Nation because of situations like this. He's going to have a big night tonight. The Lakers are going to win game five with six and Phoenix. Carry the hell on. Okay. He's very confident. And the part about LeBron showing up in a big game when it matters most, I'll buy that. But are you buying that Schroeder's going to be the guy that we saw in their wins, averaging 22 points, shooting 52% from the field? Or is he the guy in their losses where he's averaging 11 points on 40% and isn't much of a factor? Are you buying that DeAndre or Andre Ayton uh, will be able to be uh, kept in check by, by you know, Andre Drummond and that he's going to be the guy he needs to be? What do you think about the supporting cast of the Lakers and how much they have to show up in order for it to work tonight, even if LeBron is great? Yeah, I don't believe in the supporting cast and their ability to pull this off. And I want to believe, remember, it's not that long ago, Sarah, we were sitting around saying this is a better, more deep, uh, a deeper Lakers team than we've seen uh, the previous year. But that hasn't turned out to be the case this year. And frankly, it's been a really inconsistent group leading up to this spot. And I don't even know that we're necessarily paying enough attention to what LeBron's going to be up 
up against. Like, I'll give a, a little nod to our stats and info group that point out LeBron's only been doubled on 10 plays throughout the entirety of this series. So what's going to happen tonight when everybody flocks to LeBron? He's going to do what LeBron does really well in these situations and doesn't get enough credit for. He's going to get the basketball to somebody else. I just don't trust somebody else to be able to take advantage of the opportunity. And Fitz, we saw that in the regular season. The Lakers had a winning record when LeBron played and Anthony Davis didn't, but they were just one in six in games against playoff teams in the regular season when Anthony Davis was out. Because of what you're talking about, there can be so much focus on LeBron, and you're really required to see other guys step up. Now, again, some of that was without Andre Drummond. Obviously, you know, this this becomes a different situation in a playoff series, and we can't forget that the Suns on their side have their own issues, right? The combination of Chris Paul's health and the the question of the swing of DeAndre Ayton playing well versus sort of disappearing is a part of it as well. And the fact that we've now shift to Anthony Davis's health being the big factor here instead of Chris Paul's shoulder is just a reminder that there, there, there's hardly a, a single series that we've gotten where it hasn't come down to a star player, a massive player on a team you know, having a big question mark over them as we enter games. Yeah, and the health issue is such a difficult one. I mean, I guess it's likely uh, somebody smarter than me will figure out how, what's caused all of this. I don't know if it's a quick turnaround Could from the season. Could be anyone, really. Uh, that is fair. But you look across the board, to your point, Sarah, I feel like every single team we're looking at has some sort of a question mark that we can easily raise, and many of them are based on health. And so all of a sudden you sit here between the Lakers and Suns, which we expected to be a very good series, becomes an unpredictable series because you just have no idea what version of guys you're going to get night in and night out. Like Chris Paul was so much better in the last game than anybody expected him to be, especially given the injury. I don't know. Is that something he can do again? I, I, I want to say yes, but it was such a superhuman performance given what we expected and given the shoulder injury I don't know how much you can rely on that if you're Phoenix and frankly I don't know what what the Lakers can rely on other than LeBron's going to go out but even if LeBron gives them 35 40 points is that enough I don't know that we can really predict what we're going to see tonight because the question marks marks have nothing to do with just individual ability and everything to do with health it's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. Don't forget, subscribe to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can catch all the stuff that you might miss. Yeah, it's 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 all of those things that have had us questioning this series from the beginning because we took questions about the Lakers' health into the postseason. Chris Paul gets hurt. We add him into the big question marks. And, and now we're left with not just Anthony Davis for this game where it feels very unlikely that he'll play, but also down the road. Because, you know, I talk a lot about the kinetic chain because of my own health issues. Tore my Achilles, which resulted in two bulging discs in my back, which resulted in imbalance in my legs, which means that one of my glutes doesn't fire. It's like the whole knee bones connected to the thigh bone thing. Like, it actually matters. And so when you see Anthony Davis come into the game with left knee issues, that sprained left knee, that then results in a groin issue on that same side. Now, listen, he landed funny, but would that groin have been compromised in that way if the knee had been secure, right? And so, to me, you now wonder how soon you insert him and whether that puts at risk serious injury to something else. Once you have a compromised muscle or body part, there is more likelihood that something else will be used incorrectly when you jump or land or fall or anything, and then he's gone for the rest of the season or even, you know, and so that's going to hang over their usage of, of Anthony Davis. Now, the one positive that we saw in the last game was that LeBron James had more drives last game than he did in any other game all season. So he is reasserting himself. He is finding 
that that you know aggressiveness that's kind of necessary. Um, I just don't know if that's sustainable for someone who we also have been watching very carefully so as not to ab- aggravate injury. I, I mean, I'm not the only one, right? Like, I feel like every time LeBron really aggressively goes to the lane right now, I hold my breath a little bit because we have seen sort of a, a shell of the LeBron we're used to. So I think that's such a great point, Sarah, to why this is going to be difficult for the Lakers, particularly because they're putting all of the emphasis on somebody that may or may not be 100% healthy. And, you know, short-term, long-term here, is not only are the Lakers trying to figure out how to get out of this series, they're also trying to figure out how to get through this playoff. And then they're trying to figure out how to be the best version of themselves that they can be, not just this year, but for the next couple of years with these stars. They've got to be very careful with how they handle all of it because you don't want to you don't want to let one win in this series override the long-term health of a player. Yep, and don't envy the coach's decision-making. We heard that Monty Williams was going to hold CP3 out of Sunday's game. He protested. He goes and he ends up having a team high 18 points, nine assists, no turnovers. So who the hell knows, right? And these four <laughs> coaches are stuck having to figure it out. It's Straight Talk brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. No contract, no compromise. Coming up next, the biggest piece of data that could swing the whole Eastern Conference. It's next, Spain and Fitz. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. In a playoff season that may end up be defined, being defined by who doesn't get on the court, Things got a lot more difficult for Philadelphia yesterday. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Progressive's Home Quote Explorer gives you multiple quote options so you can pick what's right for you. See for yourself at Progressive.com. All of our guests are going to join us on the Goodyear Hotline. And Sarah, you know, it's funny because you and I were talking at the end of the regular season. And we had a really good conversation, I think, at the time, about how much seeding was going to matter in the East. I did not have a crystal ball, but I feel better about that take than ever now. Uh, when you look at what's happened with Philadelphia, as Joel Embiid goes down with an injury, you were just talking about the kinetic chain and how it matters for AD. I'm not sure if we didn't see some version of that mm-hmm. with Embiid as he falls on his butt, but as a result, hurts his knee in the process and so everybody's well, if you watch the replay you can actually see he lands first on that leg and his knee slightly buckles ah. so i think it hurt his tailbone when he landed but the major problem was that aggravation to the knee well and all of that has everybody trying to figure out what's next and to that end that's why brian winhorse earlier talked about Embiid's mri and why it's so important the sixers were playing so well he was playing the best basketball of his career. Now, the Wizards were overmatched, but if you watch this series, which I've been covering this series for ESPN, he has never been in a better place from all three levels. I would say that this MRI that he's supposed to have today is the most important piece of data in the Eastern Conference playoffs. And, Sarah, that largely comes because as much as we presume that Philly will be fine in this series, holding a large edge over Washington – Everything is about the fact that, realistically, Brooklyn and Milwaukee are great basketball teams this year. Yeah, uh, this is all about Embiid. And and it's especially sad, and I just thought of this for the first time listening to Windhorse there. We've seen Embiid take a huge leap this year, and so much of that was a real dedication to himself in the game this summer. We heard about his nutritionist. We heard about his physical therapist. We heard about his dedication to training and fitness he pulled out all the stops to be the guy that we saw all year and to be able to be a part of the team that was favorites in the East. Now, 
we saw in that game. This is a this is a this is a slightly different scenario. If you go into a game knowing you don't have Embiid, right? You're going to plan differently. But when he was removed without them planning ahead, the Wizards put up 48 points in the paint. There was absolutely no you know stopping them inside with Embiid out, and there was no rhythm on the offensive end, which leads to Hacka Simmons as your strategy and. It just it didn't look like the same team. They aren't the same team without Embiid. I think they can do well enough without him to beat the Wizards coming in with a game plan that's not based around him. But after that, moving on to the tougher teams in the East, they sure are lucky that they're not going up against someone like the Nets or the Bucks in the next round. But even against whether it's the Atlanta or if the Knicks can come back, many people don't believe they can't can, can hang if Embiid's out for that long. And, and one of those people is Kendrick Perkins. Hell no, G. And, and look, they, they'll get bounced in the second round by the Atlanta Hawks. If, if the Philadelphia 76ers don't have Joel Embiid, the Hawks will win this series. With Joel Embiid, this series with, with the Atlanta Hawks next round because they are going to beat the Knicks. The series in the second round with the Atlanta Hawks, they will, that series will go six or seven. So hopefully Joel Embiid is going to be available but look, if he's not, it's going to be trouble. And Club ATL, where he be rocking that down there at the State Farm Arena, is going to be rocking. And Trey Ice, Ice Trey, is going to be on one. And they will beat the Philadelphia 76ers without Joel. <sighs> That's a, I mean, Perk never holds back on the takes here. That's a big leap for me for Atlanta. I mean, I still believe in Philly. It's a much tougher out. I still believe that Philly is a better team than Atlanta even without mm. Embiid, uh, I have a hard time. I don't. Time. I'm not putting my faith in Simmons. I'm sorry. There are too many holes. That guy is a great player at moments, but too many holes. The game looks so different. And, and I know that we have some regular season evidence of what it looked like when Embiid was out and Simmons was the guy and the space that created for him inside. But there's just not enough to go around, I think. The way that changes that team, I, I don't have faith against a team that we've seen do some do some pretty impressive stuff in the Hawks, who well, I think is going to win that series. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think we both agree the Hawks are going to beat uh, New York at this point. And I feel pretty, like our playoff picks have been pretty good. Like, we've done pretty well so far. Right. Uh, Surprisingly, but, since I agreed with you, we're doing okay. Yeah, well, you know, better to be lucky than good, and, and, <laughs> and whenever it's me picking especially. But uh, I think the bigger question for me is, is there anything they can do to compete uh, even if they can get through, uh, even if they can get through the Hawks, I mean, we looked at it so much coming into the the playoffs, knowing that Milwaukee and Brooklyn were going to have this juggernaut matchup in the second round. If, if I'm Milwaukee or Brooklyn as a team, I'm looking around saying, "Awesome! I feel much better." If if there's any slighted version of Joel Embiid, anything less than 100 percent of Joel Embiid, I feel really good. If I'm Brooklyn or Milwaukee, about my opportunity to get to the NBA Finals. Yeah, I completely agree. I just. Again, this was this this is a completely different team without Joel Embiid in there. And while I understand that prepping and planning for a game without him is going to look a lot different than what we saw against the Wizards in a really high energy building, um, which is a tough. It's always tough to close out a sweep as well without giving up a little bit. But um, this this Wizards team is nothing compared to what they'll be facing deeper in the East, and uh, they're going to need Joel Embiid for all of it. And the same questions come up. You know, that I talked about the kinetic chain with with Anthony Davis. Joel Embiid having injuries elsewhere leads to other things being compromised. So now you really have to be smart and think about when you bring him back in and what games you can win without him.
Yeah, and that's not, by the way, Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz on ESPN Radio. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. It's not the only matchup we have tonight. We also have Portland and Denver, which you and I thought was going to be a great series uh, coming in to the playoffs, and it has lived up to all of the hype. I find myself, as we've, you know, I'm transparently admitted, I think I'm sort of becoming a Blazers fan, so I kind of want Portland to win this series, but the series itself has been spectacular so far. So, uh, you know, it's I don't know that it's getting as much attention, but to me it's been one of the more entertaining series to watch. I'm torn in the sense that I think the Denver Nuggets deserve more respect than they get, and they're not a team with a ton of focus from the media, so they aren't given their due even when they're great, um, and and that includes the stars on that team. And I think Jokic is going to end up getting MVP, which will go against what I just said about them not getting enough attention. But I think as a team, they don't get enough love. On the other hand, I am a, a Trailblazers fan. I'm a huge fan of Dame, a huge fan of McCollum. You know Terry Stotts is my guy. So um, it's been tough to watch this and, and be torn between the two. The, the takeaway that I have is that neither team is probably a world beater, right? So whoever does emerge is not the team that I'm super concerned about um, doing any damage in the next round, which, you know, is maybe a little unfair uh, to the team that's got a guy like Jokic that can do what he can do when he's hot or a guy like Dame who can go off like he can. I just don't think round game, full team, full roster-wise, uh, they're a team – either of them to look out for in the West. It feels like in some ways the series has been inconsistent, like so up and down. And obviously yep. Dame has had his struggles uh, in the last game. I, I expect him to come out, you know, fired up at this point, but uh, coming off of his worst scoring and shooting performance in a playoff game in his career, obviously sort of lingers. Uh, but to your point, Sarah, I think part of the reason it's hard, I keep looking for a team in the West that's going to separate itself and be so good that they answer every question mark that we might possibly have around them. And I would love to think that in this particular environment, one of these two teams can do it. My problem is they both look inconsistent at times, and I don't know how to make heads or tails of that when it comes to the playoffs. Well, most people say that, you know, I think they were talking about this on WojPod, water will find its level, and they apply that to the, you know, auxiliary players. Someone like Norman Powell, probably not going to get 29. You're going to need to settle that back down and then see where these teams meet out. We'll keep you updated on the action as it continues throughout the course of the night. But coming up next, pressures mounting on stars and mental health. We'll discuss it. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. And as always, hanging out with you on the ESPN app. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Spain, Jason Fitz back together again on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. Happy Tuesday. We're uh, – Joined now on the Goodyear Hotline by uh, someone we're thrilled to talk to about the still the biggest story in sports a couple days later. Pam Shriver, the great Pam Shriver, joining us now to talk about Naomi Osaka and the reaction from the French Tennis Federation and the majors uh, in response to her wanting to step away from media obligations for the tournament. It ends up resulting in her withdrawing from the tournament altogether and starting a big nuanced conversation. And Pam, I want to start there. I, I feel like I have incredible sympathy and empathy for Naomi, and I don't think a one-size-fits-all approach is the way to handle this, and especially not the insensitive and inempathetic way that the, the Tennis Federation attempted to handle it. But I also think a lot of people are looking at this with no nuance. It's either a race issue, and I want to address that part, or it's mental health, and I want to address that, or it's media don't do anything worthwhile, we don't need interviews anymore, or it's athletes don't owe us anything except for the game. And I don't think you can address this topic without being able to accept that it's got a, a bunch of different layers at play, right? I, I couldn't agree more, Sarah. Um, it's most unfortunate how it's all played out. I think uh, Naomi's original statement really surprised Roland Garros, and they're in the middle of trying to put on an international sporting event during a global pandemic. Everybody, whether you're an individual, an athlete, a uh, 
a sports writer, a, a tennis tournament, everybody's beyond stretched given what we've been through the last 15 months. And I think it calls for sympathy, empathy, and sometimes taking a pause when uh, when somebody like Naomi Osaka made that statement. And unfortunately, there weren't enough pauses during the situation. It just became like a like a tornado that couldn't you couldn't settle down and Naomi figured the best way to settle it down was to take care of her her issues and her mental health and I think in the end it was a good decision for her but it's a little bit uh disconcerting I think how the sport handled it Pam educate me a little bit when you say a pause like how difficult is it for the tennis side the federation to take a pause and try and figure it out when they're in the well, middle of the tournament yeah, Jason, good point. Let me let me say what I mean by a pause. Like, don't you don't have to respond. Like, c- continue the business of running the tournament. Go go sort of quietly and try and obviously they did try and reach out, but getting to a player, even sometimes getting to a player's teams like the agent and at the at the start of a major, it can just be really difficult. And I just think I just wish that there'd been a pause, especially in that statement, Sarah, that you mentioned, coming from the tennis federations, that issued this like, okay, if you don't, if you don't start to go to the press conferences, we're going to keep finding you. We're going to go to the code of conduct. Right. We're going to perhaps even default you because you're not going to going to the regular press conference. Let's all remember what ended up triggering what she said yesterday is the start of her depression was the code of conduct that played the huge role in the Serena Williams, Naomi Osaka U.S. Open final that took away Naomi's ability to celebrate what would be an, a great celebration or first major. So there were some ironies, I think, in the majors saying we're going to start the code of conduct because you can't find your way to the media conferences that have all been virtual, all in a format that, you know, some athletes, just like some students, can't handle the virtual classroom very well. Well, some athletes can't handle this virtual reality of the press room very well and it's worn on some people so i don't know i just think we're in unusual times and you have to be able to make some accommodations when accommodations are requested pam schreiber is with us here on spain and fitz sarah spain jason fitz on espn radio yeah the the uh irony also in in the french tennis federation making the statement and then taking no questions uh, <laughs> uh we're all aware of the many ways that people have poorly communicated and even accept that perhaps Naomi's first statement wasn't clear enough and she seemed like maybe she didn't want to fully expose and reveal what she was going through and then felt it necessary in order to explain more clearly why she was stepping away and struggling. And, you know, there's been so many things floating around. And one of them that I saw was an old video of Jennifer Capriotti breaking down in front of the media. And Pam, this is very specific to tennis and it's specific to individual events and the mental state of a game. It is just so different and and differently regulated also. We had Elsie Granderson on yesterday. He talked about how people try to compare this to, say, the NFL and the NBA, and it's just not the same in terms of how tournaments are run, how rules are employed, and, and how, how the press interacts with players. Can you speak to how this really isn't just about post-pandemic or this moment right now? It's just that we're much more aware and, and attempting to better understand the mental health side of things. Well, I think an individual sport right now uh, is – the athletes are exposed, I think, even a little bit more, not having um, teammates around you or not being able to have a sub come in and finish uh, a competition if something's a little wrong or you're having a bad day. You know, in singles, in tennis, there's there's no hiding. Uh, you've got to finish it yourself. Um, 
you know, it's it is complicated, um, but. Naomi has a role in this. Um, she's signed on to be this professional athlete. She's got a tremendous following because of her personality and, and the number of wins that she's had in majors, four, all on hard courts. And she's, she's had difficulty on the surface that the French Open's played on. So this all led to her feeling more and more anxiety and unease by being asked questions about it. So she's got to figure out how to, if she, when she steps back into the arena, not just physically onto the court, but all the other stuff that comes with being a professional tennis player, she's got to be able to figure out how to do it in a way that doesn't make her so uneasy. And I hope, I just hope that she's able to get the right kind of help, because if you're not, it's only going to get worse. Where could, I mean, Pam, I think the help is a really important part of this conversation. Are, are, are there systems in place that can help athletes in, in tennis specifically figure out how to deal with the media and how to deal with these moments in these press conferences? Well, the WTA has a great uh, health care department. I, I, I really don't know how they, if they've been able to ramp up the mental health care side of things. And, of course, as I found out with my three teenagers – and two of them have certainly needed help during the pandemic. They have to want to get the help. So it's very it's very complicated. It's much more complicated than say healing a sprained ankle or you know we're all all athletes we're sort of used to knowing, you know, you got to go to the training room or you have your own physio that travels with you that helps get your injuries better or helps you prevent injuries from happening. But this is a whole new ball game really how to try and get ahead of uh mental health uh I'm going to call them injuries because I actually think we're going to end up talking about whether you, you have bouts of anxiety. Um, Marty Fish has been a leader in the tennis world to talk about what he went through with his racing heart and surgeries he had and his support system that helped him get through it. I think Kevin Love's done a great job uh, talking about it in the NBA. So I think there's some good examples for Naomi to look towards, but you've got to want to get the help to to, to, to help ease the problem. And m mental health is out there being talked about more and more, and I think it's a really good thing, especially for our young people. You're listening to Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, we're talking to the great Pam Shriver. Pam, I, I just wonder what's next, because there are going to be a set of people that never fully engage in or desire to understand mental health. They're going to say, if this player can do it, that one can, or if she can do a Vogue photo shoot, she can do this, or even if she can speak at this tournament, she should be able to speak at this, not understanding that there are triggers that, that can affect people differently. If they're those people that exist, but we also have so many others that are now currently advocating, that includes her competitors and other players. Will there be a sea change in the way this is handled with actual rule changes across the board in tennis? Or are we more likely to see Naomi Osaka continue to sort of be hung out to dry? And whenever she returns, the changes would be based on, on her interactions. Well, listen, tennis doesn't have, pro tennis doesn't have a great record of making swift changes. When I think right. about what happened in the Serena Williams, Naomi Osaka finals of the U.S. Open when uh, Serena's coach made that mild gesture, which coach, the coaches in the coaching box have, have been doing it forever. It's technically against the rules at the majors. Seldom does it get called. It got called then, and a lot of people called for a rule change then. Nothing, nothing has changed. Um, so I wish I was more confident that the sport would be open to some change, um, but we'll see. This is um, this is kind of shaking a lot of people, and and it's still pretty fresh. It just happened yesterday when she withdrew. 
What we don't know is how long it's going to take Naomi to get back. Is she going to be able to play Wimbledon in a month? The Olympics, that, that is a huge thing over uh, overriding almost everything for her coming playing for Japan. And, all, and so many of her great endorsement deals are sort of hinging on uh, the Olympics being in, in Tokyo this summer. So it's really complicated. And, and if she's a bit vulnerable right now with anxiety and depression, this summer of 2021 is going to be a really long summer unless she gets really good help quickly. And I, I hope the sport encourages her to get help and I know the WTA will, but they're very private about it, as they should be. And I'm sure there's things going on behind the scenes now trying to reach out to get her the proper help. Yeah, that's such a great point. There's so many added anxieties, too, to what's going on in Tokyo right now. Demands from <laughs> hospitals, newspapers, you know, people there to, to postpone the games. So add that on top of all of this. and. Certainly, well, and, and I just say this about Naomi. I mean, obviously, she brought social justice to the forefront of tennis and joined other mm-hmm. athletes last August. Um, this, this spring, I, I, I sort of tapped into what she would be going through as the trial took place in Minneapolis, a, play, a city where she went to visit to, to feel it from ground zero. So I think she's had a really emotional time mm-hmm. behind the scenes. Um, and, and as uh, there continues to be struggles in, in the whole social justice arena, and she's a very sensitive person, very shy, introverted, sensitive. So it's really is, was set up as a perfect storm for her to struggle at this time. And I just wish our sport had the bandwidth to understand her struggles and for the majors to, to not, that's what I say, a pause. I wish the, they had just taken a pause and not responded and just, uh, continued on with the French Open and business as usual as much as possible, and right. it would have taken it care of itself in a different way. I think the outcome was pretty rotten for everybody, especially tennis fans who want to see Osaka play. Completely agree. Pam, thanks so much for the insight. Really appreciate the time. Thank you so much, Pam. All right, Sarah. Jason, thank you. Pam Shriver with us, giving just great insight here on Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Coming up, what's the point of getting tackled and arrested? Let's Let's get into that next. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, and Sirius XM channel. Lady Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, do not forget. Get out there and find the Spain and Fitz podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Always great stuff. Great way to keep up with the show. And Sarah, uh, I know we're going to talk about fans. I want to at least take a second. And uh, we just talked a lot uh, to Pam Shriver and got some great information on the Naomi Osaka conversation. I do want to say loudly for the world that mental toughness doesn't always mean the same thing to everybody. And I've seen a lot of people tweeting and commenting in general over the last 48 hours about, well, you know, you just got to be mentally tough. Her job is to be mentally tough when she's playing tennis. It is not as easy to do when it comes to mental toughness when you're sitting in front of a slew of microphones. Not everybody reacts the same way to that. And I wouldn't even say that's mental toughness. That's mental health, right. which is the same as an injury to any other part of your body that is not within your control. Mental toughness is, I'm going to go see my sports psychologist to figure out how to shake it off after a bad point. Mental health is depression, anxiety, triggering effects that you are not in control of. And I think it becomes important just to remind everybody that they're very different conversations to Mm -hmm. have. And, you know, as we continue to say this about athletes, I'll just say it loudly every time. For an athlete to come out and speak openly about mental health issues is really difficult in so many instances, and it is something that you got to look at and say, okay, 
uh, we have this information. We want to be supportive of you, and then we want to try and figure out how we can help. And I, I, I will never fault the world for trying to figure out how to help. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. In the meantime, uh, there are a lot of fans, Sarah, that I think need help at this point because I, I can't wrap my head around it. Like every single night now in the NBA, like I, I, I'm just going to say this. Like, just stop. Y'all be better. Like, arenas and stadiums are just starting to open up, and everybody seems like they're just acting like morons on a nightly basis. And so what we see last night is a fan trying to get on the court that gets tackled by a security guard, a security person on the on the edge of the court. I, I look at it and say, when's it going to stop? Like, what is it going to take literally for people to understand? Because they've taken away season tickets. They've banned people from arenas. At some point now we've seen criminal charges filed, and we still see idiots every single night that seem to want to be part of the action. I, I don't know what it's going to take to make this stop but the unfortunate thing is i think it's going to take worst case scenario before any of this is actually listened to the right way right now and i can't wrap my head around that logic yeah it's confusing to the average person who abides by the social construct that we all do when we go to a sporting event or a concert or the theater right you're not a part of it you're watching it and in the case of basketball you're watching it from really close up you are on the court some of you And part of the deal is when you go there, you don't touch them, you don't say certain things, you don't insert yourself into the game. And whether it's a combination of being in our homes for too long and coming out and whether we have, you know, low tolerances, we have one too many beers, we get a little too fired up and excited about getting back out there and forget the social construct, whether it's copycat, right? We would think, you and I, normal, regular human beings would think that seeing somebody get arrested and pulled out and publicly shamed is a bad thing. And it would dissuade us from doing what they did. And instead, what we've seen is copycat behavior. It starts, you know, with the popcorn and then the spitting and then the water bottle and then the running on the court and the racial, you know, uh, screaming. To me, this is partly due to our weird attention economy, our weird desire for viral fame. It used to be famous people got their 15 minutes of fame, and it was really hard to get that. You had to become a TV star or or have an incredible talent. Now you could just be a dummy, is the mm. word I was going to yeah, say. Yeah, that's good. That was well done. And get your 15 seconds of infamy, right? You can go viral for being an idiot, and most of us would say not worth it. But it's very clear that there are those. And I'm not necessarily putting them all in the same bin, Fitz, because I do think there's a difference between wanting to throw something at someone or yell things at them or spit on them versus an idiot who runs onto the court. It's it's a similar problem, and it's certainly a safety issue because we've seen fans actually harm physically athletes when they run onto the, the playing field. But it's a different kind of impetus, I think, between I want to be seen and I don't respect you. And because I'm protected by security and otherwise, I'm going to take this one chance to throw something at you or assault you. Yeah, and it's always going to be the fear of safety that really bothers me. Kevin Durant had strong words about fans and what they need to do right now. And for once, I don't know that KD's wrong. Fans got to grow up at some point. I know that being in the house for a year and a half with the pandemic, got a lot of people on edge, got a lot of people uh, stressed out. Um, but when you come to these games, you got to realize, man, these, these, these men are human. You know, we're not animals. We're not in a circus. You coming to the game is not all about you as a fan. So have some respect for the game. Have some respect for these human beings. And have some respect for yourself. Your mother wouldn't be proud of you throwing water bottles at, at basketball players or spitting on players or tossing popcorn. So grow the f- up and enjoy the game. You know, it's bigger than, it's bigger than you. 
Uh, Sarah, his <laughs> message isn't wrong. And, and I think back to festivals, like I always got really nervous. Not always. There were times in my life I was really nervous at certain festivals because you're so exposed on stage and you have so little understanding of who's in the crowd and like what some idiot that's drunk is going to do in a concert. And I keep looking at the way we're acting in controlled environments and arenas and just thinking about what it's going to be like when everybody's crammed on top of everybody at some random festival makes me nervous for everybody that's exposed in this process. Well, and Fitz, like, we get mad at people on the internet that are a thousand miles away who typed something we disagree with. Like, the people in my mentions arguing with each other about whether it's bad to throw popcorn or are we catering to our athletes too much or are fans all morons or just that one, not me, not all of us. The screaming and the anger with each other that has gone on in my mentions for days same people for hours at a time, still going back and forth with other people who disagree with them. And you want to tell me that you could be in the heat of the moment in a professional game that you're getting paid millions for, that your legacy is on the line, that you might have only a few opportunities left, and someone's going to throw something at you or scream awful things at you, and you're not going to react? B.S. Yeah. People are so quick to act like they wouldn't react like Russell Westbrook or others do, forgetting that this is – I mean – I can be at a bar playing darts and I am so competitive that do not mess with me in a bar playing darts where I'm not getting paid and my legacy is not on the line and I'm not on TV. I just think people's posturing is so empty and so it's so disingenuous. I, I will often say as a Raiders fan, you know, I, I grew up my whole life with the perception around Raiders fans because of the way some act. Fans are often defined, most often defined, by the lowest common denominator. Mm-hmm. So every the worst of the worst are how most people view all of fans of for particular teams. That's just the way it always goes. At some point, you just got to accept that, and we got to start looking around, and all of us got to start asking the question of what we're willing to accept from the people around us, the people in our lives, the people sitting next to us, and just a simple demand. Like, I'm not trying to be a condescending lecturer. That's not my nature. But my God. We have got to be better because it's become embarrassing to be a sports fan. All right, coming up, will the king overtake the valley all by his lonesome? We'll tell you about it next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. We've got two injuries to two superstars that have us questioning what's next in their playoff series. But in one case, the team had such a good record in the regular season, we're just not sure it's going to matter in the series that they're in. In the other, they have a real Real problem on their hands with a tough, better-seated opponent that could just steal the series from them. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM, Channel 80. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. And to talk about Joel Embiid, Anthony Davis, and the rest of the NBA playoffs, joining us now on the Goodyear Hotline, Ryan Hollins. Ryan, thanks for the time. What's going on? Well, let's start with AD. The Lakers are in a tough position because – they don't want to force him into action, especially when there could be some issues on that left side with the with both the knee and the groin kinetic chain issues that could get worse if he's if he's forced into play. But they are facing a very tough Phoenix team that they cannot cruise through without one of their stars. How do you see this affecting the series? Oh man, this changes the entire dynamic of the series. You know, the Lakers are against the wall. You know, we, we came into the playoffs saying that they were once favorites. And now you're looking at the Clippers and the Nets uh, as favorites. Ultimately, you know, the Lakers are in question to even get out of this series. But if I had to put my, my last case, my last dollar down, I'm still going to bet on the King. You know, ultimately, we've seen LeBron James do this before. And Phoenix is, is I don't want to say they're underhanded, but Chris Paul has some injuries. And, you know, experience tends to take over deeper 
in the playoffs. So ultimately, I'm going to go with the King, but you know, no Anthony Davis opens the door for the Clippers, for the Nets, for for Philly, and uh, and for Milwaukee, and all those guys are chomping at the bit. And unfortunately, the real narrative of the postseason has been the same narrative of the season. What is that? Injuries. So, Hollins, who else has to step up other than LeBron for the Lakers to win this series? Kuzma and Schroeder. <laughs> I mean, for, for one, Schroeder stepped out and said, man, I want this mega contract from the from the Lakers. You know, I'm not a six-man. I'm a starter. Uh, he, he ran his mouth real heavy, and I like that. I, I have no problem with a player running his mouth. But that now it's time to back it up. And Dennis Schroeder has the type of talent where he can go off and, and, and lead – I don't want to say lead a team, but he should be able to do his part. And next up, Kyle Kuzma. Uh, he's been very inconsistent. He's questioned where he'd get his shots from. And there's a couple games where he just hasn't shown up. But we can all see Kuzma's talent. And he's a guy who at first was mentioned as this this big three with the Lakers. Remember the first talk was that, like, like Kuzma, AD, and LeBron. Like, those talks went away really fast. But, you know, right now he's going to have to earn his value and show up in a major way. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz on ESPN Radio. We're talking to Ryan Hollins. Let's flip to the other side. We've got Joel Embiid and the Sixers in a series that I believe they can close out against the Wizards, even if Joel doesn't come back. They just need to game plan knowing that he won't be in there. They need to have some guys step up and support Simmons, especially if they go back to the Hacka-Simmons approach. Some other guys need to be able to hit shots and force the offense through them. But second round against probably Atlanta, maybe the Knicks if they come back. How far can this team get if Joel can't come back? If if Joel Embiid can't come back, the Sixers are done. I do believe that they win one more game in this series. You know, defensively they're good enough and athletic enough down the board with Ben Simmons, uh, Tobias Harris, and 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 Thai Bully and the rest of those boys and Doc Rivers, obviously a coach that I played for. Uh, but they're done. You know, Joel is the one uh, X factor that. Milwaukee doesn't have a Joel. You know, the Nets don't have a Joel Embiid. And this is a guy who, if if was healthy and didn't miss enough games, would be the MVP of the league. And I'm looking like it's going to be Nikola Jokic, but Embiid was going to be the MVP. Make no mistake there. So uh, ultimately, unfortunately, Philadelphia is not going to have enough. And it, I think the one question that we've had before Philadelphia was playing well was, do you keep Joel or do you keep Ben? And now this is Ben Simmons' moment. Uh, necessarily maybe it wasn't something he was asking for, but we're going to see how talented he is because Doc Rivers, remember I'm saying this, he's going to space the floor with shooters around him, and you're going to see the Ben Simmons show. We're talking to Ryan Hollins on Spain and Fitz there, Spain, Jason Fitz. All right, Ryan, you mentioned people you played with. Well, you played on the Celtics. A lot of conversation has been uh, out there about stepping on the logo in Boston by Kyrie. So give it to me from a player standpoint. Like, What's your reaction to that entire concept of it being a big deal? Oh man, player to player, like you, you gotta, you gotta see me. <laughs> like if we're playing, I'm in the series. You gotta see me. But Kyrie is stepping on the logo for maybe for some different reasons. I don't think it's necessarily shade to the Boston Celtics players. I think it's to the disrespect that he has been given uh, because of you know we don't need to go down that uh, Kyrie bashing session. But you know, to say it lightly, things didn't go well in Boston. But if we were just competing against each other, if I felt like this was a, a mark towards me. I would have a huge problem with it. But ultimately, at the end of the day, I don't think Kyrie is trying to diss the players is necessarily the way the organization and the media and the, the fans had treated him. So that's what I think it was towards. I don't think there's ill intent uh, player to player 
in terms of Kyrie, but if it wasn't Kyrie and someone steps on our logo, you, you remember when T.O. got ran over at the, <laughs> in the middle of uh, the Cowboys field, man. So it'd be something similar to that. You know, Ryan, we're talking to Ryan Hollins. You, you played on the Celtics with KG. KG is one of my favorite players of all time, despite him sometimes saying and doing things that I very deeply disagree with. I did not agree with him taking the time to call out Kyrie for the logo incident. While I understand we extend this incredible importance to icons and logos in sport, and there's all sorts of instances where people have said, you can't step on the logo, and yet we continue to put it on the floor in the middle of rooms, which is dumb. But if you are Kevin Garnett, you are ignoring the larger context here, which is that most fans are offering up much more humanity to a cartoon leprechaun than an actual human being. And his race is not lost on me when you're making that decision. And it reminds me of people caring more about respect for the flag that Colin Kaepernick knelt in front of than for the actual rights of the people that that flag is supposed to represent. I just, to me... If you care enough about the context of this situation, no matter how much Kyrie pees you off and no matter how much you normally would take offense to that, you don't speak out on it because you're adding fuel to a fire that is racially based and to a guy that's getting a lot of hatred for not the reasons that we normally see in sports, but much worse ones. And I guess I just think in this case, that should be something people consider when they decide whether or not to comment. And Sarah, that's exactly why when I saw the video before it had really went viral, I didn't want this, it to blow up because I knew it would be in a sense that, oh, he stepped on the logo. So, you know, we throw something at him. We spit at him. You know, we're able to say racial uh, undertones or derogatory things to him. And, and that's not what it's about. So you're absolutely right when you don't want those the, the overtones that, to, to not be heard on what's going on of the disrespect of just man-to-man, person-to-person, whether it be player-to-fan or however you see it, things are getting out of context and out of the spirit of competition. And spirit of competition says, hey, we compete, we talk some trash, then we move on. And we know that it's nothing more than a game. And right now, the the controversy between fans and players is more than a game. And I don't want to say it's just right now. When I played, these things always happen. They just didn't hit the Spain and Fitz show. You, you, you hear me? You know what I'm right. saying? They just didn't hit the Spain and Fitz show, but it's, it's always gone down. But in all reality, we've always dealt with this as players. You're just seeing it, and now we're speaking out on it. And you don't want to see another malice in a palace. And the tough part is those fans weren't really reprimanded. Yes, the, the millionaires, the basketball players on the floor knew they had so much more to lose, and they did. But ultimately, no one really pointed the correct finger at the fans who threw things that run our test and decided to come on that floor. Yeah, and that's something that LeBron pointed out, right? Identify them, say their name, tell everybody about them, because if it were the player, he would be front page of everything, being criticized for, for making that decision. Um, unfortunately, in the case, it's hard to say whether that's exactly what these people want. I mean, these Looney Tunes who are deciding to do this may be doing it for that kind of attention. Um, and the payoff just doesn't seem to make sense to the rest of us. Hey, Ryan, thanks for the insight. Really appreciate it. Appreciate you, brother. Anytime, guys. Great stuff. Keep that keep that fire going. All right, don't cool always, off. Now always, always. Now. Don't cool off. Always. Not possible. <laughs> Not possible. Spain right, and Fitz. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance, making it easy to bundle your home and car insurance. We're going to get back to the NBA Plus. There's still lots to get to. But first, we got to get to everything else in sports. And for that, we got to do quickies. That's next. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. 
Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, hanging out with you on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. Don't forget to subscribe to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can find it on Apple iTunes, the ESPN app, wherever you get your podcasts. Listen to all the good stuff that you might have missed. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. We're going to get back to the NBA playoffs and talk to some uh, a reporter in, in Philly about what's going on with Joel Embiid and get you ready for tonight's games. But there's so much else going on in sports. And when there's too much going on and not enough time, we do some quickies. That's right. Nothing subtle about this show. <laughs> Let's start with uh, some numbers that I saw just before the show. And, you know, we talked about the bubble season, I guess, wobble season for the WNBA being the opportunity to really draw some new eyeballs and then establish new fandom. And that seems to be paying off the 25th season of the WNBA hashtag count it off to a roaring start viewership up 74%. Now, obviously Woo. very early in the season, but through the first five games or so, a massive number, and especially in Canada, where viewership is up 325% without a Canadian-based team. Um, so the spike of interest down the uh, finale at the end of the wobble there, and then what it really is so much fits is an investment, right? The, the three ESPN networks devoting time to coverage, Amazon having some exclusive streaming rights to games, Nike, Deloitte, Google, AT&T, all these change maker sponsors, um, and just investment. It's exactly the same as what everyone always says. You put some in to get some out. And also worth noting that I think there are very loud advocates that are shouting down some of the misconceptions and flat out lies that have been peddled for years, including money lost and lacking interest and companies not wanting to be involved. All that stuff is getting actually, you know, smartly, wisely, and with facts shouted down, and it's offering up the opportunity for people to deal in reality. I don't know if it's because we've worked together and had so much attention on it. And I'll also give Cheney and Golick Jr. another uh, shout-out for the amount that they talk about the WNBA as well, obviously. Uh, but I, I even find myself during the day when I've got ESPN on seeing more ads than I'm used to yep. seeing for it, and it feels like – you know, this is what happens when you become, you know, a, a real invested partner, something we've talked about with the NHL, right? Like we're going to, by nature, put more emphasis on the NHL as a company because we broadcast those games. You feel that during the course of the day because I feel like the WNBA matchup of the night is focused on more throughout the course of the day. And I know, again, I, I don't know if I'm noticing it more because we're focused on it more, but it certainly feels like the the property is getting more attention throughout the course of all of the day on ESPN, right. which is a huge win for the league and part of what, you know, I think it gets people to gravitate towards watching. Because the product is great and the demand is there. People who are watching it are saying, this is great. Let's talk about it. Let's have stories. Let's hear about the players. Let's hear about what's going on. And it's, it's paying off. So great dividends there. All right, next story. Quickies. Speaking of the WNBA, friend of the show, Laisha Clarendon, who has been on many times uh, to talk about a variety of things, was sort of unceremoniously dumped by the Liberty a few games into the season. Really surprising. A veteran presence, a player who can offer a lot. And, uh, you know, being friends with Laisha Fitz, it was it was tough to, to read what they were writing on social media, what their wife was writing on social media about the surprise. They, they have a new baby, the amount of work they put in in the offseason. And... They got picked up by the Lynx, a great team with a great coach and a very serious pedigree. And in their first game back, immediate impact in a wild game that ended up going into overtime. Looked like Leisha had an OT winner. It ended up getting called off, but still bunch of points, bunch of rebounds, bunch of assists and steals, a huge part of the game. 
And it's just a thrill. I'm, I'm, I'm shout out to our friend uh, for powering through and seeing one door close and being ready for the other one to open. But also, this comes back to what we were just talking about. Like these are the really cool stories when you see a player that is released from where they are and then immediately go in and make an impact somewhere else. Yep. Like the fact that it gets that attention in the move is part of what I think really makes for a, a better a better league to cover. I, I mean, seeing that these redemption is always such a great story for people to latch onto, especially for. Some Someone, uh, you know, they're in their ninth WNBA season, right? Like, so somebody that's got a lot of experience has moved around from a lot of teams, but to come in and make an immediate impact, that story in and of itself is part of what I think is part of the draw for a lot of us on watching the WNBA this year. Totally agree. There's been a ton of stories, and with so much going on with the NBA playoffs and the holiday weekend and everything, I think they haven't been covered enough. Um, James Wade, the coach of the Chicago Sky, talking about what he felt was a racist incident with an official who told a player Go tell your boy what's going on uh, and referring to him as a coach, which not not a great thing, not a respectful way to address a coach in the league. And no coverage on that as, as, as fighting for position, which brings me to my next story, which also has been undercovered. Quickies. Dan Hughes announced just a couple games into the season that he's stepping down as coach of the Seattle Storm, has appointed assistant Noel Quinn as his replacement. Um, he opted out of the bubble because of um, – an issue with a cancerous tumor in his digestive tract and a veteran coach and Gary Kloppenberg took over. I don't know if maybe his decision to step down is age, health, anything else, or maybe he really felt like, you know, wanting Noel Quinn to step up that he needed to leave midseason in order to appoint her and make that decision instead of letting the hiring process come through. Um, but he was a two-time WNBA coach of the year, won a title with the storm in 2018. Um, so interesting uh, and a really great opportunity for the, first black female coach uh in in storm history i i love his quote too when he said you never know when the right time is i've had this conversation with a lot of us older coaches to be honest with you the time seems to be right to your point sarah you know he came in and admitted he came into the season not sure you know if he should have already stepped down and then you look around at some point you say man there are some inspiring people on this staff that I think deserve this shot. I'm going to step away and let that happen. It's the natural transition that very few teams get to see. It's a really cool moment. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, doing a little quickies. Next story. Quickies. That's right. Uh, <laughs> I don't want to laugh. This is sad. But the Maple Leafs, holy cow, how did they keep doing this? Let me, let me give you a little taste of what that Maple Leafs loss meant. They haven't won a playoff series since 2004. They have eight straight losses, eight straight losses in series-clinching games. They've lost a winner-take-all game in four straight postseasons, three game sevens and a game five in the qualifying round last summer, and they haven't won a Stanley Cup since 1967, which fits, led me to the question, and I'd like to ask our listeners at Spain and Fitz, at Sarah Spain, at Jason Fitz, who is your Toronto Maple Leafs? And by that I mean... Who or what is the person or thing in your life that is just a never-ending letdown that will always show up to crush your heart and soul? I think anybody that listens to us on Monday mornings during football season knows that that's obviously my beloved Raiders. But, you know, <laughs> it, it, it's I read it, and Matlack, Ryan Matlack, that works uh, on several shows here, uh, I, I felt for him. I, my heart ripped out for him. He is a diehard Toronto Maple Leafs fan, and watching that go down and then realizing that I was laughing at it as it happened made me realize what a terrible friend I am because, it, like, you can't <laughs> help but laugh. When you th and then I realized that's how everybody else feels when the Raiders lose. Like, they're laughing knowing what I'm saying in my home at that moment yep honestly it kind of reminds me of like what being a cubs fan was like for so long um 
but I don't know. It's it's like you have to be good enough to make that disappointment really count. Mm. <laughs> and so they keep being good enough to have a chance to make their fans feel good and then inevitably suck. And I have to say, when the Blackhawks made their run of three titles in seven or eight years, one of the coolest things about them was how clutch they were. If I was going to sit up and watch a 5 OT game, the statistically, they won almost every one of those. If I was watching them deep into a playoff series and it got sphincter tight, I'd be like, I know they're going to pull this out. And they always did. It's such a sad state of affairs when the opposite is true for your team. Well, I know my team and I know how this is going to end. So our condolences to Leaf fans. But let us know who your Leafs are. We're brought to you by Goodyear, helping you discover the road ahead. Goodyear, more driven. Coming up, how concerned should Philly fans be about Ben Simmons being the number one guy? It's next. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We just put it out on Twitter. We want to know who the Toronto Maple Leafs is in your life. You can get out there and vote, uh, or not vote, uh, chime in, tell us who, uh, who's disappointed you the way Maple Leafs uh, have disappointed their fans. Uh, oh, Chicago your... Bears quarterbacks. Oh, oh. It's, it's too close to home. Oh. It's too real. <laughs> Oh, at Sarah Spain, at Jason Fitz. That's how you can get in on that conversation. We'll read some of your tweets coming up in about 10 minutes. In the meantime, let's head over to the Goodyear hotline where we're joined by Kyle Newbeck, friend of the show from the Philly Voice. Kyle, I feel like when things are going really well or really poorly, it's like always one or the other. It's like the perfect day or the, the, the worst day ever at the casino. That's when we immediately pull out the bat phone and we call you. So <laughs> we're calling you because right now there's a level of panic from our producer extraordinaire, Cliff, uh, because he's a huge Philly fan. So I'm just trying to figure out, like, what the level of panic right now is for everybody watching as Joel Embiid is obviously injured. What's the level of panic around Philly fans right now? Yeah, listen, I'm, I'm flattered that you guys come to me when we're waiting on MRI results for one of the uh, <laughs> various Sixers who get injured over the year. Uh, I think the panic level with the fans is pretty high. What I would say is that within the organization and around Joel Embiid, not so much. The the word that I have heard over the last few hours is that, you know, I, I believe Joel has been ruled as doubtful for tomorrow's game five, but generally speaking, they think they're going to be able to manage this uh, for the quote unquote long-term, the, the playoff push here. Now what that means exactly, they haven't put any kind of formal diagnosis on it. They won't say what it is beyond saying right knee soreness. But I do think that, you know, it's it's not a doom and gloom scenario for sure. So let's talk about what happens next. This is a series that they can win without Embiid. I think we all agree they can grab another win over the Wizards. What's the focus yeah. and how does the game change? We've seen a lot of the Sixers, or at least a fair amount, without Embiid in the regular season. A lot of times we saw Simmons step up and be able to use the space created by his absence in positive ways. What do you expect now that they'll actually be able to game plan for a night without him? Yeah, so the interesting thing, I think, is how are they going to set up the lineups? I think uh, you hit it right on the head. I think Ben Simmons and then Tobias Harris, maybe Harris even more so, are going to have to pick up the scoring slack, certainly the playmaking slack on Simmons' end. One of the weird subplots with this team, though, is that the fit between Ben Simmons and their backup center, Dwight Howard, has been pretty rough this year just because of the spacing issues when – Ben plays next to other non-shooters. And so for a lot of the second half of game four, you saw the Sixers go to small ball lineups. So Mike Scott re-enters the rotation. 
down the stretch of the game, Ben was basically playing center next to a bunch of shooters, including Harris, including guys like Furk on Korkmaz. I would be interested to see if Doc Rivers decides, look, we're just going to put shooters on the floor right from the get-go and try to just get into a more of an up-tempo run-and-gun game that maybe suits Simmons more than it would a lineup with Embiid. But that's still the million-dollar question. We're going to have to wait and see how Doc decides to attack the problem. We're talking to Kyle Newbeck from the Philly Voice on Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Can they beat Atlanta without Embiid? I think they can, but I, I actually have wavered a little bit on that, just having watched Atlanta against the Knicks in the first round. They've been, you know, a Trey, Trey Young is obviously Trey Young. He's going to do what he's going to do. Ben Simmons, I think, would be able to slow him down. I, I think where, where they've impressed me, and this has really been since Nate McMillan took over the job midseason, is defensively they're a much better team. And now that they have some healthier guys on the wing, that helps you slow down guys like Tobias Harris. John Collins is a tough cover. Clint Capella without Joel Embiid to, you know, maybe get him in foul trouble, make him work on the other end. He's a guy who's going to be super active on the offensive glass, certainly active as a pick and roll player with Trey Young. So I think it'd be, I think I would still pick the Sixers in the series, but I think it might be a, a little too close for comfort for the people here in Philadelphia. Kyle Newbeck of the Philly Voice with us here on the Goodyear Hotline. It's Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Kyle, do you agree with Doc in the way he handled the hack of Simmons and that what he brings to the game is enough to make up for missed free throws and jump shooting issues? Yeah, like, look, I 100% agree with Doc on the fact that he should leave Ben Simmons in because, number one, these are situations Ben's going to see in the future that he has to work through. And this is just, look, this is his basketball fate. His ceiling is going to be determined by how Ben performs offensively in these moments. We know all the other things he can do. He can defend. He can play make for others. He's a very versatile player, but he's got to be able to get them over the line in crunch time. What I would say is that Doc went, I, I think, a little too far defending Ben in the sense that he he has, and rightfully so, look, it's a coach-player relationship. He's trying to pump up his guy. He's not going to throw him under the bus. I get all that. But saying – you know, yeah, Ben's not a 40-point player. Yeah, I don't think anybody's asking Ben or for Doc to make Ben a 40-point player. I don't think people are asking him to make him a 30-point player. If he could be a 20-point guy, that would be a, a, a massive change for Ben and a massive upgrade for the Sixers team. So, you know, it's there's a little bit of hyperbole in all the quotes that he was throwing around last night. But I think the heart of the message is right. He's going to roll with him, and they're going to live and die with Ben. The way we're saying it, it almost sounds like, I mean, this is just a conversation that happens around Ben Simmons. At times, I feel like he's spoken about like he's a liability. Is he good enough to to be the guy or one of the two guys in this case that Philly's going to look at blindly and say, we're building around for the next five years? So I have come into these playoffs thinking that this is sort of, uh, I don't want to be too dramatic, but a make or break moment for Ben. Like if you just read the tea leaves here, they did try to trade for James Harden and were willing to include Ben Simmons in that package. They did at the trade deadline. They weren't dangling Ben Simmons then, but they were looking to acquire Kyle Lowry, who is a point guard. I'm sure everybody listening knows that. And that's the position that Ben Simmons plays for this team. So they're signaling, look, we need reinforcements at that position. We need to be able to move Ben around the floor a little bit. So what that says to me is, they're not necessarily satisfied with the way the roster is constructed right now. 
And I don't think they want to trade Ben necessarily, but if they go out against, like, let's say they get to the conference finals and they meet Milwaukee or Brooklyn, whoever makes it out of that second round bloodbath that we're probably going to get. I just think if, if Ben falls flat on his face and these teams are able to scheme him out of a series, if he has a moment like he did against Boston his rookie year, against Toronto in round two, where he was able to defend Kawhi, but gave them nothing really on the other end of the floor. I think they're going to have to take a long, hard look and say, look, is this the guy as talented as he is? Is he the guy who's going to get the best out of Joel Embiid? And is he the guy who from the perimeter is going to help lead us to a title? I don't know if that's the case or not, but you know, he's had, he's got a chance to prove it in these playoffs. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, talking to the Philly Voices, Kyle Newbeck, as the Sixers series takes a little bit more of an interesting turn here with Joel Embiid out. We're awaiting MRI results on how serious the injury is. Um, we spent a lot of the regular season, Kyle, saying if this didn't work this year, this Simmons-Embiid experiment, this might be the last year that they're really given a shot, and otherwise it will be broken up. Is there too much now? muddying the waters they're number one seed but now injury comes into play so that if they don't pull off a title or at least win you know and and make it to the east finals that it'll be easy to run this back and and what is the general feeling around that city about how much they want it to be run back so i think it's ultimately going to depend on how it shakes out if they were to lose in the conference finals but they push somebody to the limit if Ben and Joel both have good, relatively good series and they look like a team that's still on an upward trajectory, of course I think they're going to run it back. Like This is still a, a core that has room to grow together. Ben and Joel have said even recently they're still learning how to play together and win together. This is not a group that has like years and years and years of, of playoff battles under their belts. They are still learning the ropes a little bit. But I, I would say in Philadelphia, it is, you know, it's tribal warfare, especially with Ben Simmons, whenever his name comes up. Like after last night's game, the, the hack of Ben stuff becomes this big debate after the game. The coach is coming at reporters for even asking questions about what he could have done strategically, taking him in or taking him out of the game, leaving him in the game. You can barely bring the guy's name up without having somebody curse at you on social media or, or just giving you a hard time. So, you know, it's a lot of, a lot of, a lot of anger boiling over here. I don't know how this is all going to end up, but you know, it's good content for us. Certainly we have plenty of people, regardless of what side you take as a, a writer, analyst, reporter, or whatever you are, there is somebody who's going to be happy with what you're saying. or somebody who's going to be angry with what you're saying. All right, Kyle, real quick, before we let you go, if you had to bet your house on it, when does this Philly season end? If I had to bet my house on it, I would say they lose in the conference finals. I think ultimately they are talented enough to get there, but I just I still think Brooklyn is the cream of the crop. That their top end talent is just going to prove too difficult to beat in a seven game series. So I, I'm sticking to my guns on that one. Follow him on Twitter at Kyle Newbeck. Of course, check him out on the Philly Voice. Kyle, we appreciate your time as always, my friend. Have a great day. Thanks for having me on, guys. I'll be back the next time there's an MRI scan. That's right. Look at that. That's Dr. Right. Kyle, that's what we're going to just name thanks, the segment. Kyle. And Fitz, <laughs> can we talk about how you learned how to bet 
other people's things instead of your own. Look, I you, still you, think you, that you, you made him bet his own stuff. That's how it works. Only because we never see him. I still think You're the learning. anxiety of You're realizing learning. that you bet somebody else's <laughs> house is big. All right. Uh, you guys are blowing up on Twitter over this one question. We asked a simple question. Who's the Toronto Maple Leafs of your life? And it has caused a massive reaction. <laughs> Plus, one story we've seen a bunch of times, why the ending will be different tonight. That's coming up. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz Podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, and Sirius XM channel 80, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Again, be sure to get out there and subscribe to the Spain and Fitz podcast, especially important during basketball season because obviously a lot of NBA action during the playoffs, so not always as easy to find us, but you know if you subscribe to the podcast that you'll always find us wherever we possibly are. She's Sarah Spain. I'm Jason Fitz at Sarah Spain at Jason Fitz, and it was a simple question, Sarah. The simple question of... You know, who is the Toronto Maple Leafs in your life? The team or person or entity, whatever it might be, that constantly disappoints you. You know, yeah. just Lifts finds you a way to just you down. let you down constantly. And, yeah. you know, uh, I thought we would get a few responses. But no, no, you have hit the mother load with this oh, question yeah. as Twitter is, like, actually just blowing up. I can't keep up with the tweets we're getting. So oh, many I people have. coming in. I will run down the best of the like, best. Give it to me. Oh. What you got? The appropriate first response was someone saying, um, the Maple Leafs are my Maple Leafs. Ouch. But at least I'm a Tigers and Lions fan, too. <laughs> Yowch. I'm so sorry. Uh, the Pittsburgh Pirates, good choice. Uh, the New York Mets, Michigan football, Chicago Bears quarterbacks. Thanks for nothing, Jonathan Gavin. That stabbed me right deep to my soul. Uh, Dave Bayer said, I'm going to have to go with my own decisions. Which is a great answer. Uh, <laughs> at Star Eagle said the other U.S. national soccer team. That is a great answer. Those guys are wow. hella disappointing. Wow. Joel Embiid's health. Well, that's certainly timely. Uh, at the Ken Childs came through with the one we were looking for. Oh, it was my dad. Like, sometimes it would seem like he had a chance of coming through for you, but deep down inside, you knew. Uh, we expected that one. Uh, Richard, my FanDuel Sportsbook account. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and let's see what else we got here. Um, ipso facto throat punch. Uh, realizing Mike Trout will never win a single playoff game in an Angels jersey. Not one damn game. Oh. That is a great answer because having Mike Trout, perhaps the greatest baseball player of all time, on your team and not even making the playoffs so that you could experience the disappointment of the Maple Leafs might be even more Maple Leafy than the Leafs. Yeah. There's somebody to Andrew came in and said, as a Detroit Red Wings fan, I don't understand the question. Oh, yeah. Wow. That's a, that's a D move. Is yeah. But that well, is, but uh, you know uh, what? Howard I, I came honestly back. can't blame him for that. Yeah. But Howard came back and responded as a Preds fan. I'd like to invite you to kiss my catfish. So, that's right. you know, it's fresh. Uh, the NHL rivalry on the I, Twitter. Friends. I also appreciate at George underscore Norath sending us a story from the Beaverton, which appears to be satirical, kind of like the onion with the headline dominatrix offers her subs new punishment that replicates pain, humiliation of being a Leafs fan. And uh, one of the lines is, the Leafs system from the Dom includes being chained to a radiator that displays all the expensive contracts the team is locked into, holding their eyes open and forcing them to watch Game 7 of the 2013 series against Boston over and over again, clockwork orange style, and inserting a ball gag in their mouth before putting the paper bag over their heads. Oh, my God. Wow. <laughs> wow. Oh, man. People uh, the the last line. This could be the start of a whole new theme for me. I'm already thinking of a Raptors-themed program where you climax once and then just happily sit in it for three years. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Ah. 
the civilized Good choice stuff. said Braves, Atlanta Falcons. I could include my Atlanta Hawks, but that's overload. Hey, you know what? Civilized choice. Maybe you got some hope. You're like, yeah. you're watching a playoff series right now. Like, enjoy the fun. But it's the it, hope that kills you. Well, that is. Every single year. I was actually talking to uh, Raider Nation Radio today uh, doing a, a hit about the Raiders. And I said, like, we're, this, we're all in that spot now where uh, for football fans, as we approach the 100 days until the regular season begins, the amount of us that are already in that, you know what? This year's going to be different mode. Like, it's just. <laughs> um, excuse me. Hello. Yeah. Justin Fields is my personal uh, God and Savior. Three of the top five jerseys <laughs> on NFL.com only surpassed by Tim Tebow would be the home away and alternate Justin Fields jersey yeah. so look oh, at that man. Like, I get we are it. ripe for a letdown <laughs> oh man it's, it's part of speaking of a letdown are we gonna let ourselves have the letdown for tonight as obviously ad uh, look they're saying game time decision we don't know uh, dave mcminniman said earlier it looks like you know they're, they're keeping everything close to the vest until we get right up to game time spain and Fitz, by the way sarah spain jason Fitz. i'm not laughing at the at anthony davis i'm laughing at the person who just chimed in with marriage <laughs> <laughs> Oh man! So the question oh, sadly, becomes: Oh, it's America! Oh no, <laughs> you guys are—you're getting too good at this. These hurt. These hurt a lot. This is going to keep us uh, amused throughout the course of the entire carry evening. On, carry on. Uh, are any chance that we're going to take the bait and decide to bet against LeBron getting it done tonight as the Lakers take on Phoenix, likely without AD? You know what, Fitz, when you were cheating on me with multiple shows yesterday, instead of doing your own show, you missed a 25-second, because that's all I was limited to, rant about the Clippers and how I believed in them. I felt like Tyra Banks in America's Next Top Model. I believed in you. We all believed in you. And I kept fighting for how, well, the fact that they've got a lot of players who have played different roster lineups because of DNPs, you know, rest and uh, management. They're going to be great in the bubble while other teams are still adjusting to opt-outs and people being, no, they sucked. They did something that no one's ever done before. And then this year, they look trash again after I believe in them one more time. And I finally give up on them and I say on national television that they're going to show us nothing and that they're embarrassing and that they have no hope. And then they come out and win two games and now everyone thinks that they're going to win the series again. Why? I, I can't believe I just got on a tangent again about the Clippers when you asked me about LeBron James. The point is, when I've said in the past, I'm not going to do this again, I have said it about believing in the Clippers, and I have said it about not believing in LeBron. He gets me every time. So does Tom Brady. I'm going to stop picking against them until they are fully retired. I've got two teams in front of me, but only one photo. And that photo <laughs> is full America's Next Top Model. Uh, look, that I, was amazing. I want to say that I'm going to go for Phoenix tonight just because it seems to make sense in my mind. But all I keep thinking about is it's still LeBron. Like, it's LeBron with a bunch of next to him, right? That's the hard part for me. Yeah, KCP going to be back in the game. That's going to be a That's big deal for them. For sure. uh, but realistically, like, are we looking that as, at that as the great hope in this process? No, I, it's like, probably Schroeder, right? Uh, and pointed out those stats earlier. In their two wins, he's been, I think, averaging 22 points, shooting above 50%. And in their two losses, he's been sort of non-existent. They need those guys to step up. And maybe it'll be easier, again, like I said earlier, with the Joel Embiid. If you know you're not getting Anthony Davis, you start a game with a game plan where those guys know their roles, and their roles are much bigger and more consequential than when they're out there alongside AD. And where do we let recency bias come into it? Like, Because when you're analyzing a playoff series, recency bias has to be everything. So I just keep thinking about the version of CP3 we just saw 
and, which was just a, a, a delight, right? Like it was, it was a delight. But is that replicable? I don't replicatable. Whatever that word is, can it be done again? I don't know, Sarah. So like, I'm looking at it saying, I there's everything tells me not to pick the Suns, which is why I'm going to pick the Suns tonight. I'm going to go wow. all in on this. Yeah. I'm always wrong. So like, if everything well, in my you, gut's telling you got me replicable, right? But then you doubted yourself. Well, so maybe that's the proof that we need. I mean, that is doubting myself is just it, it's <laughs> when part you of actually my, got it right. It's my fi- it's in my fiber. Like that's who I am. Right. It's part and of my wiring. Confidently Sarah. using words that don't exist. That's you. Well, you know, I, I, I did spend a long time reacting to Stephen A. Like I've learned from the master on this. So you just if you make up the word confidently, though, that's what he does so much better than everybody else. Like he says it and nobody questions it. I, you know, this is yeah. that's where I've gone wrong. So are you going Lakers? Or is that where I'm you're... going? Yeah, because I'm not allowed to pick the Suns, even if my gut is telling me the Suns are gonna win. I'm not allowed to. I just said why. The entire Lakers roster is joining Freddie and Fitzsimmons. <laughs> next don't turn away you want to check it out <laughs> thanks for listening to the spain and fitz podcast you can listen to the show weeknights at 7 eastern on espn radio and on the espn app